You're listening to Feel Notes from the Hindu Business Line with T.R. Vivek. Hello dear listeners and welcome again to another episode of Feed Notes, the weekly podcast from the Hindu Business Line on all things agribusiness. I'm your host T.R. Vivek. You can of course listen to Feed Notes on our website www.businessline.in. The show is also available on all the podcasting platforms like Spotify, Google Podcasts and iTunes where you get your podcast downloads regularly. For feedback, comments or if you would like to hear about any issue in particular, do write to me. My email is in the show's notes. In today's episode, we will be talking about sericulture or the business of producing silk fiber from silkworms. You will remember from school lessons that the domestic silk moth or bombyx mori feeds almost entirely on mulberry leaves. After its leaf chomping phase as a larva, it encloses itself in a cocoon of silk produced by its salivary glands. India's roughly 8 billion dollar silk industry has taken a beating. Its quality has dropped and Chinese and Vietnamese silk now have a better reputation. Yet it is too important to be allowed to decay. India is the second largest producer and the largest consumer of silk. There are nearly 45 lakh farmers who depend on sericulture. To discuss the issues around Indian sericulture, we have on field notes Mayank Tiwari, the CEO and co-founder of Resha Mandi. Resha Mandi is a Bangalore-based agri-tech that claims to be digitizing India's silk supply chains by using tech interventions from the farmer to the consumer end it works with thousands of farmers to improve the quality of silk and links them up with the textile industry mayank is a graduate of the national institute of fashion technology and has worked in the e-commerce and fashion retail sectors hello mayank how are you thank you thank you for that introduction vivek i'm good how are you doing i am very fine mayank i believe the indian silk industry has been in a bit of a crisis of sorts in recent years could you tell us what's been happening in the indian silk industry from our perspective what i see is that mulberry under plantation has been growing in india for the last 5 years indian silk industry got dominated by the chinese yarn that we were imported and what we were primarily doing with that imported yarn was to manufacture fabric for export consumption whatever india produces we primarily consume ourselves we are the number one consumer of silk and number two producer of silk however people have this misconception saying that chinese silk is better than our silk the tensile strength of chinese silk was the only agenda item there as to why chinese silk was better but one thing that happens with chinese silk is its brittleness comes through when it ages so a kanjivaram saree will start cracking after a few years because the chinese silk was used there now indian silk has a very different property from that a it's more lustrous than the chinese silk b it has a larger tensile strength and the brittleness of course goes out what today is happening in india is the farmers have started understanding that they need to technologically be able to produce this crop because this crop has various nuances if specifically around temperature humidity and leaf controls and then accordingly be able to reap the benefits of the technology advancement 
while the government has been quite supportive of the silk industry as such, they have come up with silk samagra scheme. Even the local government in Karnataka and Andhra is trying to support the farmers and the reeling community. But there is a larger penetration that is still pending. Why that happens is primarily because the farmers don't have the accessibility to the research that is already conducted by Central Silk Board or CSTRI, right? They continue to do the research, but the propagation takes time because of various factors and sometimes it's also to do with the factor as to how the central government versus state government because this is also a subject of both the governments. The marketing of it is with the state government while the production and the research is with the central government. So it takes time for the penetration of the technology to happen. But overall, silk industry in India right now should be looking at the global market because there is an anti-China sentiment out there. European market and US market is looking towards India to be able to produce the right quality of silk and be able to fulfill the orders that they have right now. So that's where we are. A lot of the weavers themselves seem to prefer imported Chinese silk. Why is that? You know, in my conversations with some of them, they seem to have a bias towards keeping aside the geopolitical sentiments. In terms of pure business, that still seems to have a lot of cachet. Okay, so just talk about the business for a while. Today's Chinese yarn is costing you anywhere close to $65, while Indian yarn will cost you anywhere close to $40, $45. Now, tell me where is the business mindset there? The mindset was created primarily by the few cartels of the silk traders, primarily the yarn traders, because nobody has the accessibility directly to reach out to the reeling units, because reeling units are primarily pocketed in Ramnagar, Lagata. These are taluka-based concentrations and for a Vanarasi viewer who requires only 200 kgs of a yarn on a monthly basis for him to get a direct access the scale of economies does not function so even for the reelers hence both of them depend on a trader and then they try and tell them that the Chinese quality is better Indian quality isn't better but is it really so has the reelers really understood what they're producing or the viewers have really understood as to what are they consuming because most of the time our uh, listeners mike who would be the reelers what do they do i'll give you a context of the silk supply chain so it starts from egg production it's almost like the butterfly's life cycle right starts from egg production goes to somebody called a chaki rearing farm which basically hatches these eggs and make larvas larvas are then passed on to the farmer who will on a 21 day cycle feed the mulberry leaves and make the cocoons these cocoon are then sent over for reeling. Now, the reeling units in India are typically of three types. But what they primarily do is they boil the cocoon, they remove the protein content and then start drawing out the yarn. So these are the people who are drawing out the yarn and then yarn is a commodity that you can store for a longer period of time. Cocoon requires the same day transport to happen. Otherwise, the cocoon is emitting CO2 and your gunny bags will start having higher temperatures and because you can't keep it for very long until you are stifling the cocoon, right? So that's what the reeling community does. Once the yarn is produced, it has to go to the weaving clusters. Weaving clusters will produce either the saris or the fabrics or whatever you see out there of silk. And that is what is sent out to the retailers and finally to our consumers. So that is the entire landscape of silk supply chain. I think it is said that the quality at the farm gate pretty much decides the quality of the fabric as far as silk is concerned. Why is that? And is that true? 
it is very very true it's much more true in the sense that the quality is actually defined at the chaki side itself once the silk worm is hatched out of the egg and becoming the larva if there is no early detection of disease which you know most of the chakis forget to do that is where it gets defined then of course in our farming practice we define more parameters to it in the sense if there is not a right temperature humidity control or if the leaf has a pesticide residue or worm has not fed the right quality of leaf it may have lesser moisture or a higher moisture and if it has a lesser moisture because they are taking their water intake directly from the leaves right so it becomes important that you have a certain percentage of moisture in the leaf otherwise the silk worm will not grow properly and then die eventually in the process mm-hmm. and similarly if you have higher moisture content then they will bloat up and die so there is a chance of crop failure there which is rampant you go to andhra pradesh you will realize that the crop failure ratio is more than 60% mm-hmm. sometimes in few of the farms while the farmers that we work with in bangalore and nearby areas in karnataka at least these guys are a little bit mature they have been doing this for quite some time so their effective percentage is around 30 35% but still too much right the chinese have already established themselves with a process where they are able to do 90% production right so that's where the difference lies now will kanjivaram sadis not get determined at the farming level yes because if the silk worm stop producing the saliva or the glands stop producing it because there is not enough moisture content that they have fed on for the last 15 20 days at that point in time you will have a breakage in the thread that breakage will continue to exist in the reeling machines and then of course in the weaving clusters as well finally when the kanjivaram sari comes to you it has to be combed and that knot has to be not visible to you but it does happen mike uh, rishamandi says that it is digitizing india's uh, silk supply chain and the problems that you mentioned about quality being determined at the farm gate tell us about your work in creating this ecosystem of quality as far as silk is concerned sure so reshamandi is primarily doing two things with any leg of the silk supply chain we don't work with the egg production units we work with the chaki rearing centers where the central silk board already has a certain bit of sop defined as to what chakis have to follow to produce the right quality of the silk worm so we work with them to identify what are these sops and then make sure that the chakis who are working with us and they are our input providers are providing the right quality we are trying to define uh, ai ml to do early detection of disease so that we can pass on the technology benefit directly in the hands of the chaki guys as well as on to the hands of the farmers now once we have established that and we have supplied it to them the right quality we do two things at the farm level one we supply them a iot device at their mulberry plantation itself which basically helps them understand when to irrigate when not to irrigate and also what is their carbon content looking like of the soil because that would define what would be the corresponding protein percentage that they will have on their leaves and then through satellite image we try and understand whether the yield has grown or not grown our early result shows us that we've been able to improve it by 30% for now while we continue to experiment this further and there will be more research papers that we will publish the second bit of the iot device that we have is in the rearing shed itself now normally what happens is everybody understand agriculture as to be in the open field while sericulture is a domain where you will have a open field of mulberry which will get cut eventually to be fed to the silkworm and silkworms are inside a closed room which will have windows and it has to be airy enough so 
Now we have the rearing shed IoT, which basically does four parameters check. One is what is the air quality looking like? Second, what is the lux factor, which is the light? And third is the temperature and fourth is the humidity. We basically try and identify, we have a set parameters across the life cycle of the silkworm as to what they need to have to be able to rear it properly and then finally get the right quality of cocoon which can eventually trade at a higher price. So idea there is that we do a KYC with the farmer to understand what are the tools that are available. And if they don't have tools very, very handy with them, then we accordingly change our advisory. There are different ways as to how we work with it. And we also have an agronomy team, which gets an escalation. If at all, there is a farmer who's not following the advice. And then we make sure that they move towards the right direction in terms of maintaining the temperature and humidity at least. So you are able to monitor, even if a farmer is not following the prescribed SOPs, you are able to detect it through technology and then if needed, intervene. Yes, yes, we are. And once the cocoon is ready, we basically do our end data test, which basically defines as to how many kgs of cocoon would be needed to make one kg of yarn. The lesser the number, the higher the price. This is a physical check that was conducted even in Ramnagar, but only 10% of the lot was able to get checked on a daily basis, primarily because the testing lab has only two, three people who are doing these tests and Ramnagar gets 40 tons on a daily basis. So it's humanly not possible to do it. Now I applied for a provisional patent where we are through image recognition itself will be able to determine exactly what the end data of the cocoon is and we are passing on that technology onto our app directly so that the farmers themselves will be at their farm gate just do a scan and understand what the quality that they have produced and then accordingly the pricing and they can accept the price and we can move forward from there how many farmers currently do you work with and how do you earn money Right. We currently work with around 14,000 plus farmers across Karnataka. We just recently started a foray into Andhra Pradesh, Tamil Nadu and Maharashtra. And how do we make money is when we supply the inputs to the farmer, there is a certain bit of commission that we take. Basically, these are our handling charges and of the inputs. Second is when the cocoon gets transported to the reelers, of course, there is a commission that we partake and we handle the logistics ourselves. We take it on our account. Then then once the yarn is ready with the reelers, we do a quality test of that yarn before it gets supplied to the weavers. And there is a commission percentage that we take there as well. And once the fabric or the sari is ready and we are supplying that to the retailer, that's again where we make the money. Do you buy back the entire lot of yarn that comes out of your farmers or do you link them up with retailers and manufacturers? No, so basically it's about a buyback guarantee that we are able to offer to the farmers whosoever is onto our ecosystem when they are taking the in because it's a free trade market, right? They can choose to just take input from us and then go and sell it in Ramnagar market as well. But if they do want to come back to our ecosystem, we are happy to do a cross-check on the end data test and accordingly price it out and then work with them. Similarly, at the reelers side as well, there are reelers who continue to purchase cocoon from us, but they don't really supply yarns. While there are reelers who follow our advices, we backfill the order from the weaving clusters to them directly, and then they are working on producing the yarns as well for us of the right quality. Has there been any difference in terms of what the farmers can earn and in terms of the quality of yarn that they've been producing? 
So from the quality standpoint, the cocoon that has our input and our IoT interventions has affinity towards increasing the overall revenue of the farmer by approximately 20%. While mm-hmm. from the reeling community as well, they are normally excited, but these are initial results that have come out when we have supplied them the IoT-led intervention-based cocoon. They have been able to get to a 4A grade silk yarn directly on a multi-end unit instead of on an automatic reeling plant, which was rare, which didn't happen earlier. And in terms of quality, is the yarn now longer, better and comparable to imports? Chinese yarn, so to say, is a 4A, 5A grade yarn. India does produce 4A grade. There are automatic reeling units. uh, Could you explain that? What does 4A or 5A yeah, sure. So basically, the grading of the yarn starts from a 1A grade and goes up to a 6A, 7A grade. This is the higher the grade, the better the yarn in terms of its finesse and in terms of its smoothness. There are also the other two factors that you need to consider is what is the denier that you're looking for, which basically defines what is the finesse of the yarn that you're looking to input into your you know looms. So if you're looking for a 2022 denier, then that will be a finer yarn than a 40-44 and things like that. Apart from that, you need to also check for a CV ratio, which is basically what is the smoothness of the yarn. The better the smoothness of the yarn, the better it is for the weavers, primarily because the thread will never break while it is running on the loom. Because otherwise, the weavers will have to tie the knot again and again. You'll have knotted fabric coming out. So the higher the CV ratio, the lesser affinity at the weaving cluster. So all these factors put together is what will define uh, yarn's quality. Now, what we have visualized is when we went to Banaras, when we were able to show them the yarns, most of the weavers have not only changed their course of action from taking the Chinese yarn, but now working with the Indian yarn. We have also shown it to the Central Cell Boat guys and other people who know the quality of the yarn. We get it tested every time when we do a trade anyway. So we know that it is comparable to what is coming out from China as well. Mike, how did you zero in on silk? The agri sector, it is not perhaps the largest segment. Tell us how you chose this and how you got into this part of the trade. Like you said, Vivek, I am an NIFT Mumbai graduate. So when I started my career, I started with a high fashion store where we were working a lot on silk. And I was basically handling the domestic operations where I was doing the sourcing, production. So I knew what goes into the silk fabric, right, as to what qualities gets produced and otherwise. Then I had worked on my own setup, which was Next Steps Research and Development, which was primarily a services company. But we were primarily working on grassroots level problems, working with the weavers and artisans across India, trying to give them platform to work with the retailers directly. At that point in time, also, I've worked with these weaving clusters of cotton, weaving clusters in silk, and hence the affinity towards the natural fiber has always been there. So when I was looking to start something of my own after having 15, 16 years of experience, the idea was that, A, let's stay put at the supply chain, pick up a supply chain and try and solve for it. Second, it has to have a rural connect or an agri-connect, and that is where natural fibers came into foray, because almost all the natural fibers have the agri 
agriculture of the farmers at the back end who needs to get digitized who needs to get organized and then you will be able to you know put that into perspective and have better qualities transparencies come out which is what the international buyers are also looking for now how we chose to start with silk was primarily to do with the factor that if i would have started with cotton there are already traditional players that are existing and as an entrepreneur you're looking for a green field and i found my green field in silk because india's silk segment is completely unorganized there are only far and few players in between and these players are also not backward or forward integrated so they are working on one leg of the supply chain so there could be a chamundi silks and a himmat singhe which are doing great job at the textile mill side while you have a haseeb working on the reeling side but you will never find somebody trying to backward integrate like aditya billa on cotton right so there was nothing of that sort existing and we said okay we can go full stack here looks to be a lucrative market 8 billion dollars is what you already told from our bottoms up calculation looks like india should be doing anywhere close to 75 billion dollar worth of trade and that's the capability india has we are not even utilizing one tenth of it right now and what has prevented this backward integration in silk what happens is when you look at the socio economic challenges across india and the religious factors so people don't trust each other the reeler will never trust the farmer the farmer will never trust the reeler saying okay listen my quality is this and then they will haggle on to it and hence state government came up with the ramnagar market and sidlagatta market and all these markets came up right but now india has moved towards digitization everybody has technology in their hand and we saw there was an opportunity where people don't have to really venture out of their houses and we can provide them the layer of trust through the technology so that's what we see so technology is it that these two communities which didn't trust each other enough they now can be invisible they didn't need not know who who they are dealing with is that the role the technology plays sometimes yes so sometimes if you don't know your buyer and you're trusting a platform you're trusting a company which is a third party has no relation to the reeling community mm-hmm. apart from selling them the cocoon which is getting procured at haveri or a herior and finally the farmers does not even have to bother going to ramnagar 300 400 kilometers away to stay in a inhuman condition in a ramnagar market and then haggle with a reeler in the morning while the bidding is going on all that factors also constitute as to why a technology platform becomes much more predominant and why people are ready to adopt towards the technology mine can resha mandi have applications in other sectors of agriculture as well or this is purpose built for silk no so we are resha mandi primarily because we have a natural fiber bent in mind resha means fiber so idea has always been that yes there will be a diversification later on so the technology that we have built is completely scalable to other natural fibers as well so soon we'll start foraying into cotton as well where we are trying to build up top down thesis and see as to you know what the retailers are demanding what the international buyers are demanding and can we create that supply led out of india mike thank you very much for joining us and thank you for your great insights thank goodbye you. and god bless until we meet next week again thank you